Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, public lands in California and other Western states have increasingly become a refuge for people priced out of housing or seeking a simpler life, or both. And the upheaval of the pandemic and wildfires has pushed more people toward nomadism, as Sarah Torrey found while reporting on van dwellers for Bay Nature magazine. But with greater numbers comes greater tension. We learn about the attraction to van life. And before the end of the hour, we remember trailblazing county supervisor and former assembly member Wilma Chan, who died Wednesday. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The sheer number of people turning to van dwelling or nomadism struck journalist Sarah Torrey, who penned a piece for Bay Nature magazine last month titled, Public Lands Have Become a Refuge for People Priced Out of Housing in the West. Local tensions are increasing. What now? Well, this hour we take a closer look at today's nomad lifestyle and how it's forcing new questions about what constitutes public land. Joining me is Sarah Torrey, freelance journalist covering the environment, migration, and rural communities. Sarah Torrey, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Bob Wells, a nomad and vehicle dweller who founded the CheapRVLiving.com blog and YouTube channel. He was also featured as himself in Chloe Zhao's 2020 film, Nomad Land. Bob Wells, glad to have you as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, Sarah Torrey, let me start with you, because your piece starts with a really intriguing story of a San Diego couple named Kanisha Fernandez and Steve Fitch, who struggled to find affordable housing and moved to Las Vegas, only to soon find themselves getting priced out there as well. Can you tell us about Kanisha and Steve and what they decided to do next? Yeah, Kanisha and Stephen um kind of got sick of sort of the grind of city living in Las Vegas and really just wanted to um, kind of find an alternative for themselves and their their four kids. And actually, Kanisha came across a YouTube video um, called Full Time, that depicted a family living full time um, on, you know, camping um, in their tents. And they sort of were inspired by that video and really wanted to, they sort of 
through that saw a way out to the sort of grind they were living and paying so much money in rent, not being able to give their kids outdoor experiences. Um, and they just decided to give up their apartment, sell all their thing, most of their possessions, buy a bunch of you know floor tents and kind of camping essentials and head out on the road. And their plan was to just kind of travel around to different forests in the Western US and, and live there and sort of live this life that um, had felt out of reach for them, I think, in, unless they were doing it full time, you know, they couldn't afford weekend camping trips. Um, it just felt too hard to access those places. They were working too much. Um, so yeah, that's, that's their story. Yes. And you quote them as saying, or realizing, why do I have to pay so much just to have somewhere to live? What kind of life is that? And they're not the only ones to confront that question, as you say, that uh, they're part of a growing contingent of Americans living nomadically. Could you just give us a little bit of a sense of the scope that you've discovered? Yeah, I think um, it really started with the uh, recession and a lot of people losing their homes. Um, and then that's only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, a lot of people just choosing to, not necessarily people who can't pure can't afford rent but choosing although there is some of that too a lot of people's just deciding I don't want to pay this much of my income um on an apartment or you know uh, a place to live and so choosing to just kind of buy an RV or live out of their vehicle on public land it sort of became this alternative for a sort of suite of bad housing options or no housing options I think for a growing number of people and with with the pandemic and in recent years, the rise of remote work possibilities, there's sort of, um, I think just, and more publicity through social media around this kind of lifestyle. I think it's become a more attractive and all and also necessary option for, for a lot of people in the U.S. And the rules kind of vary across different land management agencies, but generally how are people able to make it work on public lands? Um, generally, you have a 14-day stay limit at any one location, um, so people are definitely, you know, having to move around, although there are some long-term visitor areas um, on BLM, Bureau of Land Management land, um, where you can stay for up to a few months at a time, I think, maybe like four months um, so there are some longer term options, but generally people are having to move quite frequently to make this work. Mm. Well, Bob Wells, I, I bet it's not a big surprise to you that, that people like Kanisha and Steven saw the draw of nomad life and, uh, and that there are a lot of people who are turning to it. You love it, as you have said. What do you love about it? Uh, you, you know, if you ask any person who's doing it and likes it and loves it, there will always be a one word answer. And that answer is freedom because, you know, 99% of Americans are not what well, that's a, uh, that's not a correct number, but a large percentage of Americans really have no control over their daily lives. Every day you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night. All, nearly all of your decisions are made for you. You're going to go to work. You're going to, uh, you're going to do perform the, the necessary functions in life, but you don't get many free decisions. And so the goal is to be able to take control of my daily life. You're still going to work if you're young, um, but you can work less and you can have much, much more control of it. There is no such thing as true freedom, total freedom. Uh, 
you're, we're always going to be dependent on the system and the system requires money. And, but the, the simple answer is freedom. When did you choose this way of life and what led you to it? Like when did you start and what led you to it? I started in 1995. I was actually forced into it. A lot of people are forced into it. You know, we are from the cradle to the grave. We're told there's only one way to live, and it's the traditional American American dream. You know, uh, go to school, get a job, get married, uh, do that for the rest of your life, retire, have golden years. That's the standard formula for Americans. And I, I was living that just because that's what the only thing I knew was an option. And in 1995, I went through a divorce. And I, uh, I could no longer afford to pay for rent. And I'd been a camper and a backpacker all my life, you know, and I knew I, I've ex- lived out of a backpack for extended periods of time. If I could live out of a backpack, I could live out of a vehicle. And so I, every day on my way to work, I kept working. Nothing changed in my life. I just had to stop paying rent. Um, every day on my way to work, I went by a business that had an old beat up van out for sale and I drove by it one day and I said you know what I could live in that I can live out of my backpack I can live really well in that and so I stopped in and bought it and moved in that night and it became my home I hated it initially I felt like a failure and a loser uh, that was the emotional trauma was difficult really difficult hmm. but I would say within six months I loved it and have loved it ever since Sarah was mentioning, Bob, that there was a surge in interest in after the 2008 uh, financial crisis and then recession, that she's seeing another surge in the pandemic. Have you seen the same thing, given the fact that you are somebody who has essentially been dis- described as like a guru for, for people who are seeking this life or who have tight budgets or want to understand it better? Yeah, I think I think she's really, really correct uh, there that I started my website in 2005 because, you know, I, I kept going to work. I kept going to work till I retired uh, and I kept living in my van. In fact, sometimes I'd sleep in the parking lot of the store I worked at. And uh, I knew the people I worked with were all just like me. They they thought there was no choice. And so they had to live this life, even though they didn't like it. I didn't know any of them. None of the people I worked with liked their life. They were tolerating it. I think, and there's a lot of statistics I can I can tell you about that, but this probably isn't the time. Um, and so in 2005, I started my website. I wanted to tell people, you have a choice. You can be happy. Uh, you don't have to be tied to this American dream. And so I was in place in uh, cheaprvliving.com. And so in 2008, 2009, when the global economy collapsed, people started Googling, how can I live in my car? Because they were going to be living in their car. And they started looking how I can live on a budget. On the homepage of my website, I have a $500 a month budget and a $1,000 a month budget. So if you need to know how to live really, really cheap, the answer is there. And so my website exploded in 2008 and nine. And it was after that, that I started the YouTube channel, which really exploded as well. But, uh, so yes, in, no question. It 2008-9 the recession were a lot of it, and we're seeing now. You know, we say we're in this great recovery, and we are in a great recovery for a small percentage, and I do mean small percentage of Americans. 
But for the majority of Americans, this is not a great recovery. For some, it's terrible. For the majority of Americans, it's mediocre at best. They're barely getting by. They don't have money in the bank. They don't, if uh, for, you know, there's a lot of been statistics about this. If an emergency came up, they couldn't put together $400 cash to buy a new set of tires. They don't have the money. So that is not a thriving way to live. That is barely living month to month, mouth to mouth, uh, meal to meal. And so that's the majority of Americans. And so um, when 2008 happened, they were forced into that. And then 2020, and this is, we're seeing it now, what's being called the great resignation. People were confronted again. Well, my whole world was shaken in 2008 and 10. Uh, and now my whole world is shaken again in 2020. Maybe I'd better start rethinking my life. And by then, uh, van life had become, you know, mainstream. You know, it's becoming mainstream more and more all the time. The Wall Street Journal just put out an article on uh, what's the best way to live in an RV. And so it's becoming mainstream and people knew about it. And I think you're going to see an explosion of the people who do it because they have to. Uh, after after the pandemic, they will have to. They will have no choice. And because they want to. Those two groups are going to really become very, very large. That want to question is interesting, Sarah. It reminds me of someone you interviewed named Dirk, who, while there are a lot of people who have turned to van life as a result of economic pressures, he really emphasized to you that he chose it, right? Yeah, he did. He, um, for him, I think the local affordable housing options were basically non-existent in, in Mammoth Lakes, as in many mountain communities, there's just a severe lack of affordable housing and local workers are really, especially with Airbnb, have been priced out. And one alternative he saw was just living in his van and um, on the forest, uh, forest land, which surrounds, which surrounds Mammoth. And he's um, not the only one who's who's decided to do that. And I think for him, it is really this way of escaping the system. He doesn't want to pay, you know, 60% of his income to for a crappy apartment or, you know, with many roommates or a tiny studio. He yes. This is his way of living um, kind of on his own terms. Right. Taking back control of his life, as he said. Well, we'll have more with uh, Sarah Torrey and Bob Wells right after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about public lands becoming a refuge as housing that's affordable becomes more scarce. I'm joined by freelance journalist Sarah Torrey, 
whose recent story for Bay Nature is titled Public Lands Have Become a Refuge for People Priced Out of Housing in the West. Local tensions are increasing. What now? And Bob Wells is with us, a nomad and vehicle dweller who founded the CheapRVLiving.com blog and YouTube channel. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation with your thoughts and questions for Sarah and Bob. Or maybe you're a nomad or vehicle dweller yourself. What's been your experience? Have you thought about it? What appeals to you? 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. And Bill asks, isn't high property tax a big consideration in choosing van life? You can completely avoid it. Is that right, Bob Wells? Oh, yeah. I would say uh, generally just uh, the high cost of living. But in San Francisco, of course, the cost of housing and taxes are are a major major part of that. But generally, yes, uh, if you're if you're forced into it economically, then taxes would be a major major part of that. Sarah, as you documented in your piece, with more interest, growing numbers, it's also brought growing impacts on public lands and also growing scrutiny. Can you talk a little bit about what you uncovered? about some of the concerns? Yeah, I think in some um, forest areas that have become hotspots, there's been a big problem. Uh, Land managers are encountering um, just increased environmental impacts, people not uh, taking away their trash, um, human waste issues, uh, trampling vegetation, just kind of all the impacts of overuse that you would expect. And it's led to some really high cleanup costs in certain forests like um, the Willamette National Forest. Um, uh, Yeah, I think their cleanup costs in 2018 ran above $200,000. So it's definitely creating some issues and that's in turn engendering some resentment um, from people, you know, who might use the forest for more for recreational purposes or who have homes uh, nearby. And of course, in the West, wildfires are a huge threat right now. And they worry if a bunch of people are living in the forest or just also dispersed camping in the forest, just regular visitors, you know, those two groups are kind of getting conflated and the, the, their big worry is really wildfires, um, you know, leaving campfires unatt- unattended or, or whatnot. So um, those are some of the, yeah, the things I've heard. Um, yeah. How have some agencies or counties responded? There's been um, restrictions on where you can disperse camp. Some areas have been shut down altogether to disperse camping. Um, In a lot of, I know some towns and areas in Colorado that, you know, once you could just show up, now you have to make a reservation ahead of time. Um, So land managers are definitely trying to sort of crack down or get it under control. There's the sense that it is sort of out of control a lot from last summer when people had limited options with the pandemic. Um, They, you know, just more and more people went to public lands to camp. Um, It was sort of perceived as a safe escape uh, way to kind of get away. Bob, do you worry about some of these changes that you're seeing, some of these responses? I think Sarah and her piece, she also alluded to here, talked about bans on overnight camping and parking lots. And uh, Noel tweets, this is in contrast to, oh, let me just save that for a moment. But do you worry about the spotlight on nomads, van dwellers like yourself, um, having potentially a negative impact on you and your ability to access the lands that you want to access? 
Uh, yeah, I do. It is a concern because, uh, and you said use the word conflate, and I, the the main problem here is that we are conflated with the the true homeless, the people who are living on the corner of San and San Francisco that you're stepping over every day, and those are the people who are leaving the really bad messes close to town, um, and also uh, you know you go to any any large city or that abuts a, uh, a national forest particular or even BLM land. If you drive very far out of it, you will find piles of, of household furniture. And uh, it's amazing. Everywhere I've gone, I've run into this. And those are not uh, van dwellers because we don't have household furniture. We don't take our piles and dump them on, on forest land. TVs, big TVs and, and couches and beds and mattresses. See, that's the locals. Um, so there are overnight uh, campers who are coming out for the weekend, weekenders, and there are the true homeless, and there are people who are just too lazy and to go to the dump and dump it where they should. So we get wrapped up in that. It's a big net, and we get wrapped up in it. However, that isn't to say uh, we aren't partly responsible, the van life community. I tell people all the time, and you know, I'm just one small voice in a very, very big tent uh, mm. that if you camp near town, you're going to get, we're going to have problems. There are, you know, I'm real familiar with Flagstaff, Arizona. So they've just started closing land around Flagstaff because everyone goes to this one fantastic campsite and it's overcrowded and people are leaving a mess. And so they closed it. Of course they had to. So but around Flagstaff are a million acres that they could go camp on, but they all go and camp on the one great camp near town. So we've got to stop doing that. It's there's we got to get out on the million acres where we will have no impact at all. And of course, we we have to leave a place better than we found it, which 99% of us do that. But yes, it is a real concern. Hmm. And now let me read Noel Street, which is about drawing distinctions, but also experiencing disdain. Noel tweets, this is in contrast to RV dwellers staying on the streets of cities of the Bay Area, as well as the San Jose Airport flight path land. There is so much disdain for them from homeowners in these cities. Let me go to caller John in Berkeley. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Morning. Um, it was interesting that I'm jumping in right at this point after listening to, um, is it named Bob? The, yeah. Or the guy with the YouTube channel. Yeah, Bob. Um, I agree with some of what Bob says, but uh, I, my wife and I have lived on and off in a van for six years. Um, we are definitely doing it by choice. We both have jobs. We both have income, but we both, being Bay Area natives, have just become completely disenchanted with the cost of homeownership. My wife lost her home during the economic downturn, mm -hmm. um, and rents have gone up, and we just decided to move into a van and it's been fun. It's been great. We travel, but we also see a lot of van dwellers who we believe are definitely making it harder for the people who are trying to respect the people who don't want to live in their vehicles, meaning homeowners and people who want to enjoy the outdoors. And if you think about the average American, you know, a lot of people just aren't even responsible enough to pick up their litter. So how can you get to the people who are just trying to get by living in their vehicles? Because here in Berkeley, I see people living in their vans and their vehicles that are way more of a problem than, say, that somebody just living in their tent. 
like I heard Bob discussing, like the people on the streets in San Francisco that you have to walk over. Well, there are people on the streets in like massive eyesore, like 35 foot, you know, 16 foot high RVs with just junk piled around it. And it's like there needs to be either some sort of etiquette or some kind of understanding so that we can all kind of live together because I get irritated by it all the time. And I'm a van dweller myself. Well, John, thanks for sharing your story. Just really quick, how long have you been a van dweller? Six years. Six years. Well, thanks for calling in and, and sharing your experience and perspective. We're also talking with Sarah Tori, freelance journalist covering the environment, migration, and rural communities. We're talking with Bob Wells, a nomad and vehicle dweller who founded the CheaprVLiving.com blog and YouTube channel. And I'd like to bring Nikki Cox into the conversation, public land scholar and inclusivity social scientist who works in the U.S. Forest Service, but is speaking for herself today. Nikki Cox, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Nikki, are you there? Oh, while we try to establish that connection with Nikki Cox, let me remind listeners that if you have questions or thoughts about uh, living as a nomad, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Are you vehicle dweller yourself who'd like to share your experiences. Do you enjoy accessing public lands? What are your thoughts and questions on what you're hearing in this conversation? 866-733-6786, the number, email address, forum at kqed.org, or post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Nikki Cox, are you there? I am. Happy to be here. So we were just hearing some of the tensions, and I was curious if you see a path forward and what it looks like to you in terms of efforts at compromise or or perspectives that you're hoping to see? You know, frequently, um, as the conversation has already illuminated, there's a conflation of people who are living out of their vans by choice and people who live on forests because they don't have another choice. Um, you know, lots of people who live off of um, urban spaces choose to go to the woods for safety reasons. There are people who are dealing with addiction, people who don't have another choice. Um, and then there's people that are just happier to live in the woods um, and kind of reject society. So a study by Lee Seveny and Josh Bauer um, through the Forest Service actually kind of illuminated the diversity of people that are living in the woods. And we consider them non-recreational campers. Um, the diversity of reasons makes a singular solution almost impossible. Um, but one of the things that we really try to focus on in terms of land management is to make sure that our employees are prepared to encounter people. There's a lot of emotional labor that goes into that, in particular, when you have people that are really in a tough spot in their lives or dealing with addiction. Um, and then secondarily, to have resources for people who don't feel like they have another choice but to be living in the woods. I'm really struck by something um, that you said, which is that the public we serve now is not the same public that Gifford Pinchot was talking about. It's not the same public we were serving in the 50s and 60s. What did you mean by that? Yeah, um, you know, homesteading was acceptable until it wasn't. And what people are doing now living in the woods isn't all that different than homesteading. Um, there was this perception that the frontier in um, the homesteading era was closing, and that's the point at which we decided that the woods were intended to be a place to go visit, to keep yourself from being in the, in Roosevelt's words, um, feminizing urban spaces, mm -hmm. and that people were going there to visit. Um, I'm a firm believer that recreation is a colonial practice, and 
we don't, we haven't as land managers adapted our practices to really be um, relevant to the public that we serve today. The public that they were serving when they wrote these land management practices, when they established these agencies, is drastically different. And the things that people want to do to connect to landscape, whether it be living on landscape, hiking, rock climbing, it's different. Um, but we haven't really adapted yet. Hmm. Well, let me go to caller Enrique in San Francisco. Hi, Enrique. Join us. Hi. What's on your mind? Um, well, this you know this whole idea, I I I, I commend um, individuals and um, and support it. I, I think that um, I myself, in a couple of last several years, have been really looking at this. Um, my wife and I have talked about maybe RV, um, and it's just you know just this whole rat race. It's a lot of pressure. It's not the security of it these days. Um, it's, it's not as assuring as it used to be. And so, you know, why not take control of your destiny, uh, live a little bit more free with freedom and, and also be able to manage. Um, if I can work out of an RV, why not? Um, mm-hmm. It's convenient, it's comfortable, and, um, and, you, and you support the environment. I mean, my neighborhood, I live you know, in San Francisco. Um, as much as the city is working to manage waste, it's still not as manageable. Um, we're still global warming. Big corporations are not adhering. Um, you know, policies are, uh, you know, is is divided um, with uh, bipartisans and what have you. It's just a big mess. And so, <clears throat> I think that, you know, I commend Bob Wells to come out and and provide this information because um, I think the average family is definitely looking and considering. You know, can this work? Can I get out there? And can I have an open field for my children. I mean, I raised my kids, but um, <clears throat> if my kids were younger, I would definitely be even more inclined to consider this type of lifestyle. Well, Enrique, thanks for sharing your thoughts on this. This listener has a different take, and I'd be curious to get your reaction, Bob Wells. This listener writes, stop calling it van life. It's homelessness. I lived out of my car to protect myself from domestic abuse. It was awful. Van life, like tiny home, is a euphemism. I resent being told that I was just a nomad. I was homeless. What do you think about that, Bob? Well, uh, nomadic living is a very, very big tent, and there are all kinds of people inside that tent. And on the very, it's a bell curve, of course, like all of life. And at the very high end, you have millionaires uh, living in million-dollar RVs with a um, million dollars in the bank. On the very bottom end, you have the people who are mentally ill and uh, are, um, uh, you know, there's drug addiction. And so that is, they're both being swept under the tent of nomadic, nomadic living. Uh, and, and they could not be any different. So it's a mistake to just think of them as all one big group because they are not. I mean, the guy who's you're stepping over and is peeing in the, in the corner of San Francisco is not the same guy who's living in a million dollar RV. So if we don't, uh, if we just lump them all into one big thing and look at them as one big group, then we will never get anywhere. There will be no progress. We, we won't learn anything. We won't, we won't have any progress. So yes. Uh, uh, in fact, well, I don't want to go into it, but um, okay. that there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of you got to understand that just because you aren't me and I'm not you doesn't mean 
there's a separation or a conflict. I see no conflict among all the groups in the big tent. Do you have some thoughts on Martine's tweet? The flip side of individual freedom is alienation, rootlessness, and lack of community. How are the van life nomads dealing with that aspect of disconnection? Is that your experience, Bob? Oh, no, it's 100% the opposite. I've been doing this a long time. And every time I meet anybody living in a vehicle, and anymore, that's really, really, really often, I ask them, uh, have they been safe? That's the first thing people are afraid of. Will I be safe? And they've never had a problem with safety. And I ask them, have they made friends? Are they lonely? Are they sad? And universally, and I do mean universally, if they want to have friends and community in their life, they have more now than they ever had. We are an incredibly alienated society, and that's not just something I flippant that I thing I say. Uh, sociology has been studying in a great depth the extreme alienation of our society. If you are an average American living in a home with a locked door, triple quadruple locked door, afraid to walk outside because you're just sure someone's going to gang rape you. Uh, you are alienated. And out here is just the opposite. The chains drop away. The You're able to build a, a connection to another human being that you've probably never had before. And I know you're just, that's just one guy spouting these things off. But um, yeah, it is, it is so much better for nearly all of us uh, who are here because we want to be than it was ever living in a house. Uh, we're coming up on a break, but Nikki, I'd be curious to get your response to this listener who tweets, those not perceived as cis males are likely targets for harassment and worse while living in this way. It's not that they can't live the van life, just that it's more dangerous for them. The freedom is, as many others, unequal. What do you think, Nikki? Absolutely. I did um, some research on female hikers, and the number one thing that they were afraid of in the woods wasn't animals or getting hurt or getting lost. It was other people. Um, so I think for a lot of people with marginalized identities, historically excluded communities, we don't have the same privilege as um, people who have more, like white men. Um, certainly it's something that we have to consider. Yes, and important to humanize us all, including those who are unhoused, not by choice. Um, we have more talking about public lands about their draw for people who are seeking it as a refuge as housing becomes more affordable housing becomes more scarce stay with us a little more after the break i'm mina kim support for forum comes from san francisco opera set 10 years after a school shooting the critically acclaimed opera innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended kaya sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward don't miss the highly anticipated american premiere of innocence june 1st through 21st learn more at sfopera.com We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Uh, 
We're talking with Sarah Torrey, freelance journalist covering the environment, migration, and rural communities, about her recent story for Bay Nature titled Public Lands Have Become a Refuge for People Priced Out of Housing in the West. Local tensions are increasing. What now? Bob Wells is with us. You may have seen him in the film by Chloe Zhao, the 2020 film Nomadland. Bob Wells is a nomad and vehicle dweller who founded the CheaprvLiving.com blog. And Nikki Cox is with us, a public land scholar and inclusivity social scientist who works in the U.S. Forest Service but is speaking for herself today. And you, our listeners, are also with us. Let me see if I can get a few more calls before this segment ends. Richard in West Marin, join us. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Well, um, uh, very interesting topical subject you've got today. Uh, I, I am blessed to live out in West Marin near the Point Reyes National Seashore, which is, uh, as many of you know, a beautiful place, draws people from all over the world to come visit. And for the past Oh, 15 years or so, 13 years, I've been picking up all the trash out here that washes up on the beach. I'm so sorry, Richard, but there seems to be uh, an issue with your connection. If you could just call us back, maybe we could get a better, we could get you on a better line. Oh, oh, wait, you just came in clear. Keep going. Yeah, let's see if this works. Well, so I've I've been picking up all the trash that, that washes up on the beaches. And so I've gotten to know, you know, where all the trash shows up. With the advent of the popularity of van life, the van lifers come out, and um, as Mr. Wells stated earlier, it's a whole spectrum of people, some with $100,000 sprinter vans that are very well-behaved and very respectful that come and camp for a night, two at the most, and you wouldn't know they were parked there. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that are barely scraping by, and you know you can't but notice that they've been there, and they often... Uh, we'll park in a pullout and stay there for several days or weeks. We've got a couple of individuals who've been living in Winnebago's for uh, two mm-hmm. years on the side of Tomales Bay. And those Winnebago's attract, they're like a billboard for van life. And they attract more people to come of all you know shades on the spectrum. And some of your listeners may know that there's a huge industry of growing oysters in Tomales Bay for human consumption, not to mention all the you know, wildlife that live in there. Well, when you've got human feces getting into Tomales Bay, into the oysters, and you eat an oyster that's tainted with human feces, you get norovirus, and you get yeah. very sick. And a couple of years ago, we had an outbreak of that. So the popularity, it's, I, I understand the allure. I'm a backpacker as well, and I've lived out of a backpack for quite a while, but not everyone is well-behaved, and, and people in $100,000 sprinter vans can be just as poorly behaved and leave tampons and yeah. baby diapers and everything on the side of the road. So it is a yeah. big hit. Um, there's a lot of problems, well, and cities don't you know, don't know what to do with all the trash that you know, these people that don't live in the community, they just venture through. But they, some of them have a huge impact on the communities that they come to, uh, to visit. In what you're describing, Sarah Tori, wow, you've really documented what what uh, Richard is is feeling. Can you tell us quickly about Chris Leonard in Mammoth, who you met, and, and where he sort of landed right now? Because he's kind of in this uncertain place himself. 
Yeah, Chris is a Mammoth Lakes um, high school teacher and fly fishing guide. Mammoth Lakes is in the Eastern Sierra. It's a popular mountain town. And during COVID that, that summer, the yes, summer of 2020, there was a huge influx of dispersed campers. So people just coming to camp in the forest outside of Mammoth, very close to town. And um, that really, local residents, homeowners were very um, concerned because it was a really bad wildfire wildfire season, the creek fire broke out very near Mammoth and sort of tensions were, were really high with all this sort of influx of dispersed campers and the local population who lived in the forest out of necessity, um, like Dirk, they were sort of, everyone was sort of lumped together. Um, and last, this past summer or spring, Chris noticed um, a bunch of RVs camped out and he, it really bothered him. He worried that we would have a repeat of, the Mammoth would have a repeat of the summer before and really called for some extreme measures like banning all, dispersed camping altogether. And um, that sort of prompted uh, some, you know, local officials to sort of think about the issue some more. And, um, and it also prompted criticism from some of, the members of the local forest living community who were saying, hey, we follow the rules, we're allowed to be here. Don't lump us in with people who, you know, are just coming from Southern California and don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, what have you done to create affordable housing for us? Um, that was sort of a, a point that was raised and um, local officials. One woman I talked to, Stacey Corliss, acknowledged that, you know, they hadn't done enough to protect affordable housing. So you can't just push people out. It's not going to solve the issue. And, and Chris has since kind of come back, tracked back that initial um, sort of extreme uh, solution that he proposed and, you know, acknowledges he's privileged as a homeowner. And, but at the same time, he doesn't think that forests should be home to, you know, unofficial RV campgrounds. He wants it as a place, you know, wants a certain aesthetic um, and sort of is, yeah, I guess caught between recognizing that some people are doing this out of necessity and also he wants the, is concerned about environmental impacts and, and forest fire. Well, as Bob has made the point, um, he's seeing an explosion in interest and I don't know that we've so much had answers, but really just sort of gave a spotlight and, and raised some of the issues that we will need to contend with. And also just a better understanding of the experience of, of vehicle dwelling and being a nomad. And Bob Wells, I thank you so much for joining us to, to give us some insight into that. My pleasure. Thank you. And Sarah Torrey, thank you for your piece. Thank you so much for having me. And Nikki Cox, appreciate hearing your perspectives on inclusivity as well. Thank you, Nikki Cox. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We're going to go out with a piece uh, that uh, is a Lauren Hill song. Maybe, uh, Sarah Tor, you can tell us quickly about uh, the Lauren Hill song, I Get Out. Um, this is a song that what I learned about through Stephen Fitch, one of um, Kanisha's husband, who um, I profiled in, in my story. And he really saw this song is encapsulating a lot of the reasons that he and Kanisha decided to live in the forest. And it's, um, yeah, all about escaping the system and sort of kind of helped illuminate some of the reasons why they were deciding to, to live in the forest. And um, yeah. Let's listen. Oh, just get out of all this bondage. Just get out. Oh, you can't hold me in these chains. Just get out. All oh, these traditions. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.